The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Good morning. I'm Sean. Glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, Before I get started, I wanted to just share uh, two things. I, I had a very full week and two things that just kind of came out of this week for me. Uh, first, I took my middle schooler, Joey, to the Fields of Faith event on Wednesday night. And I just want to echo what Michael was saying earlier, that I, I feel so honored to be, uh, be able to serve with you at this church and to be a part of Highlands. Ha- just watching what happened, the volunteers and the bands and running sound, um, the number of leaders and, and different people from our church who showed up there, Maddie, our senior in high school, who, whose testimony just, just spoke volumes, and, and I, just, I just feel so blessed to be a part of this, uh, this church and this place that's um, so vibrant in our community, and uh, so thank you for giving me the opportunity to be your pastor. Um, and then second, I wanted you to know that on Thursday, I went to Berkeley, and I spent Thursday and Friday in Berkeley, meeting with a group of 20 to 25 pastors, most of them young. And uh, the, the whole reason for the, the meeting was for us to talk about how we can identify and uh, empower young leaders and bring more diversity into our church tradition. And it, it was a great discussion, but I bring it up because I got to meet somebody there face-to-face for the first time, somebody that you probably, many of you know, a guy by the name of Graham Baird. <laughs> Um, if you don't know Graham, he was the original pastor at this church. I served here the first seven years for Highlands and uh, is now a pastor in Colorado Springs. And we had been at the same places. We knew of each other, but we had never met face to face. And so I can tell you that he and his family are doing well. Uh, they miss you terribly. Uh, we had a lot of great chances to, to talk about um, experiences and stories. And it was just great to get to know him and to appreciate him even more. And uh, he sends his greetings to all of you as well. Uh, you know, I got back late on Friday night from, from this, and I'm still, I, if, I, if I'm honest, I have to tell you, I'm a little tired. And uh, if I wasn't preaching at all three services, I might actually fall asleep at some point. But, but fortunately, being up here keeps me sort of um, energized and going. Uh, but what about you? H- have you ever been tired in church before? Has the droning of the pastor's voice ever put you into a nice little trance-like state? (laughs) Don't worry. By the way, if you're worried because you're like, he's calling me out for last week. um, I, I can't really, with the lighting up here, I can't see your eyes very well. So if they're open or closed, it's hard for me to tell. So you're off the hook. Um, Have you ever sat next to somebody who was falling asleep in church? Uh, maybe it was a family member and you just gave them a swift hit on the back of the head and woke them back up. But what happens when it's not a family member and it's somebody you don't even know and they fall asleep and they start snoring? What do you do then? Do, do you just cough really loud and hope that it jars them or accidentally nudge them? Or maybe you just hit them in the back of the head like you would your sibling? creates real problems for us, doesn't it? You know, I once knew a man who, who uh, would fall asleep in the, in the church sometimes, but he had it down. He would sit down in his pew, and, and he would get in a nice, comfortable place, and then he would lean forward like he was praying. 
Was he sleeping? Was he praying? Nobody knew. So for all we knew, he could have been really holy, and the rest of us weren't, praying through the whole service. (laughs) Now, some people who fall asleep in church, they fall asleep because they're bored. But not everybody falls asleep because they're bored. Some people, like that friend of mine, they just have crazy schedules. They're constantly working. They're sleep-deprived. Their kids are keeping them up. They want to stay up, but their bodies won't let them. On the other side of that, though, is that people who are awake in church are not always super engaged, are they? You can have your eyes wide open, but be completely disconnected with what's happening in the church. Many people are bored and disengaged with church these days. And while you can certainly blame communicators for some of that, and and sometimes church leaders, we're, we're just a little lifeless and we're not all that engaging, but I think that there is a much deeper reason that people are not all that engaged or that people become bored with church. They're bored because they have bought into a watered down, ordinary version of what it means to be the church. An ordinary understanding of the church says that this is a one-hour event that needs to be endured every week. Now, perhaps you've chosen to attend Highlands because it's much harder to fall asleep when Theater 3 is playing, right? (laughs) It would be really hard to fall asleep. But let me say, you can come to a church that is lively and energetic, but still settle for an ordinary expression of what church is all about. God doesn't want us to settle for ordinary. He has made us extraordinary, and he wants us to live into that reality in our lives. We, when we make Christ our cornerstone, and that's, that's what we're talking about in this series, making Christ our cornerstone. We're going through the book of 1 Peter and learning what it says about doing just that. And when we make Christ our cornerstone, uh, that's when we become extraordinary. And uh, our passage is going to highlight that this morning. It's going to tell us all about that. And in fact, this is the section of 1 Peter where we got the theme for this entire series, Cornerstone. So let me begin by reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Come to him, a living stone. Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. And a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's word for us this morning. And you know, there are many opinions about the church and what it is or what it's supposed to be. I've already alluded to one of them or just just straight out mentioned it. And that's that some people see the church as an event, something you have to stay awake through for one hour each week. There are many other opinions about the church too, though. Some will say that the church is a building. It's the place that you go for an hour once a week. Others will say that the church is a social institution, that it is a club for good moral people to go and get away from everybody else and to uh, pretend like they have it all together and to be seen. If that's what you think the church is, then you are going to have a very ordinary experience in the church. People outside the church have their own opinions about what the church is. When they see people within the church practicing an ordinary expression of what it means, then that really tends to leave a bad taste in their mouth very often. In 2007, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons wrote a book called Unchristian. And in that book, they basically just presented the findings of their surveys that they had done and a nationwide survey of young people, 16 to 29. And here's some of the things that their book revealed. Only 16% of the non-Christians in that age bracket, 16 to 29, have a good impression of Christianity. 16%. 87% of those said that church is too judgmental. 85% said it's hypocritical. 78% said it's too involved in politics. 70% said it's insensitive to others. And 68% called the church boring. That was six years ago. And let me tell you that the church in America has not gained a better reputation in those last six years. Here's some other words that I've heard de-church people use about the church. Negative, self-righteous, bigoted, close-minded, anti-reason, naive, and uninformed. That doesn't sound very extraordinary, does it? Well, God's Word paints a much different picture of what it means to be the church, and 1 Peter says it beautifully. Chapter 2, verse 9 in particular, which we read, it lays the foundation for our identity in a way that few places in all of Scripture do. It's one of the most important passages for understanding who we are. But before we get to that verse, I want to just say a few principles that the surrounding verses gave us about what it means to be the church. First, it teaches us that the church is a people not a building. In the Old Testament, the worship was centered around the temple, which is where God's Spirit dwelled and in a special power and intensity. But with the coming of Christ, Christ has, has made us, He's done away with the need for the temple. He has made us pure so that we no longer need this barrier between us and God this physical barrier. So we ourselves have become the very temple of God, the spiritual house where God's spirit dwells. 
So a building, this is a tool for mission. A building is not the church. We are the church, which means that the church can't be confined to a place. The church can't be confined to a time, 9.45 on Sunday mornings. It can't be confined there. Wherever we go, the church is present. Another principle that we get from this passage is that uh, the church is made up of people who have received mercy. Once you had not received mercy, the passage said, but now you have received mercy. And if we've received mercy, then we ought to be known as a people who extend mercy to others rather than just settling for an ordinary meeting once a week, navel-gazing. A third principle is that the church is established by faith and not by moral superiority. Uh, churchgoers having the, projecting this false sense of moral superiority is one of the reasons that so many people are not all that thrilled about the church in our world today. Christ has made us extraordinary, but that is his doing. It's not ours. And that should keep us humble as we pursue him together. Now, with these principles being said, and in that last principle alluding to the fact that pride can be a problem, I'm also aware today that if you are here for the first time and you haven't been to church in a long time, or maybe you have been coming to Highlands for a long time, Moral superiority is not your problem. Maybe you feel like you are a moral failure and that you don't feel very extraordinary in God's eyes. Well, Scripture tells us that when we come to faith in Christ, He makes us extraordinary. When we put our faith in Him, He says that we are what we couldn't be on our own. So now with that in mind, let's reread 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We'll put it up there for you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's break down those phrases that Peter uses to describe us in this passage First, he says, a chosen race. And don't mistake that word race to mean that only one race is chosen. A better word might be nation. And what he's really getting at here is to say that people from every tribe, every tongue, every people group in the world are united through Christ into one nation. How great is it to be united and to be reconciled with people from all over the world? And... How great it is to be chosen to be a part of that group. How extraordinary. Now, we all know what it's like not to be chosen for something, I'm pretty sure. Uh, when I was in college, I had a great group of friends, and we hung out all the time and, and did a lot of things together. One of my friends in that group was, he was extremely good-looking, um, we knew this because every girl in the school fell in love with him the second that they saw him. We, we all knew that he was better looking than us. We just, we could not deny it. I had members of my own family that would tell me how good looking my friend was. 
Well, because he was so good looking, he, he was offered jobs to model at times. And uh, I personally never had a desire to model. It was not something I wished to attain. Um, but, but one day, um, he was given the task by one of the agencies that he worked for to find a group of guys to go to a shoot with him. So he came and he asked, I think he asked every other member of our friend group besides me, what does that mean? Ouch. I never wanted to be a model, but I still felt rejected. It hurt not to be chosen. Well, that's a pretty mild form of rejected, a rejection compared to what many of you have had to deal with in your own lives. But do you know who else was rejected? Jesus Christ. Our scripture reading today said that come to the one who has been rejected by mortals. And then metaphorically, it said that he is the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus was rejected by the neighbors in his hometown. He was rejected by people who liked his miracles, but not his teaching. He was rejected by his friends. And in the end, he was rejected by the very people that he was dying to save. He was rejected by humans. But as scripture told us this morning, he is precious to God. And so much so that God has chosen him to be the cornerstone, the foundation that the church is built upon. And so then this Christ who has been rejected, he chooses people who have been rejected to become that spiritual house, that spiritual building of his own. Have you ever been rejected? God chooses you. He loves you. He died to save you. And that's just one of the reasons that you're extraordinary. Next, Peter goes on and he tells us that that we are a royal priesthood. Now, if you were to list 100 different attributes of yourself or words that would describe who you are, I doubt that either of those words would show up. Royal priest. I don't, many people wouldn't put those on there. The word royal is reserved for people like William and Kate and little baby George, right? I doubt that many of you had the paparazzi outside your hospital the day that you were born. Uh, You probably don't have somebody blogging about your outfits and how they're shaping culture all over the world. So you would probably not say that you are royal. But Christ has made us royal in the sense that we are now, we belong to the king of the universe. We are his, we are part of his family, and we are also his priests. But you probably don't like that word priest to describe yourself either. That, that word priest probably calls to mind somebody in a robe or in a clerical collar, um, somebody who talks different than you, acts different than you, hangs out with different people than you. But that image of a priest is far too narrow. The biblical concept of priest is someone who serves God and somebody who has the right of access to God. Now, not all people are called to be ordained pastors. Um, Not all people are called to be in a worship band. But every single person is called to serve, to be ministers of the gospel. Uh, in uh, In the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, 
Martin Luther started this really great phrase calling us the priesthood of all believers. We are all called to serve together. And then the other aspect of us being a priesthood is that we have the right of access to God. We don't have to go through somebody to speak to God. We can go directly to him to pray, to confess to him all that we've done, um, to receive his power and his strength in our lives. And I think that is extraordinary that we have that kind of access. The church operates best when we really buy into this, this core part of our identity, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are called to serve the king, and when we go to him regularly, directly to pray. Next, Peter says that we are a holy nation. Last week, we talked about what it means to be holy, to be set apart, to be completely other, to be 100% pure, 100% right. And none of us, we talked about, can claim holiness on our own. It is a gift that we received from God. Christ is the one who makes us holy, even when we don't deserve it. And understanding holiness will help us understand what Peter said, that Christ is a stone that makes people stumble and a rock that makes them fall. When you choose to make Christ your cornerstone, when you put your faith in him, then he gives you the gift of holiness. On the other hand, when you choose to reject Christ as your cornerstone, when you don't put your faith in him, then you're not given that gift of holiness, and then you will be judged based on what you've done and on your own merits. And none of us are 100% holy 100% of the time. And so Christ becomes a problem for you. Christ's holiness becomes a problem for you. It becomes a stumbling block because we won't live up to his perfect standard. This is why the decision to follow Christ is the most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life. Because when you make that decision, you become a part of the holy nation. You become a part of the people who receive God's forgiveness and are given new life and are put back into a right relationship with God. It makes you extraordinary. And the fourth phrase, the fourth phrase that Peter uses to describe us is that we are God's own people. Or put another way, that we are God's precious possession. You know, all of the phrases that we've talked about so far um, were phrases that had been used in the Old Testament to describe God's chosen nation of Israel. And now Peter's saying, you are a part of that. You are part of God's chosen people. And he called them his, God's precious possession in Scripture. They were called that in Exodus 19, at a time when they had just been freed from slavery. They were also called God's precious possession in places like Isaiah 43, where this promise of being delivered from exile was given to them. And so salvation from awful circumstances is a hallmark of the people that God says are my precious possession. Christ has set us free from darkness. He's qualified us to be God's special possession, which leads me to the end of verse 9. And I want to take a look at what that says next. Because 
the end of verse 9 tells us the purpose for why God has made us extraordinary. It says this, In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God has not made us extraordinary for ourselves alone. He's made us extraordinary because he wants us to proclaim his goodness to the world. One of the best ways we can do this, and we've talked about this before, is to share our story, to share our story with other people who need to hear it. How has God called you out of darkness? What does that look like for you? How has God transformed your life? What is stepping into God's light? What has that meant for you? I know it hasn't made you perfect, but what has it meant for you? What's it changed? We're called to share these things. It's not just pastors and elders and church staffers. All of us are called together to minister, to share and proclaim who God is. We can do that through our words and our stories. And we can also do it through our actions. I loved the video that we watched today. Uh, Another reason why I feel so honored to be your pastor. Because you responded to that call to go into our community. Many of you didn't know what was going to happen when you showed up that day. But you just said, hey, I'm going to take this step of faith and I'm going to do something. And during that day, you made a huge impact. I, we hear stories so often of people who, who walked onto the football field and said, who painted all this stuff over the weekend? Where did, who did this? And then we have employees at the local schools who are able to say, oh, that was my church. That was Highlands that did that. And point people to Christ through your activity. Now, this could just be a one-day event. Or it could be the reality of who we are as a church, people who serve our community and proclaim God's goodness through our actions. When we serve others, we tell other people that God is a God of restoration and that God cares about them and that God cares about our community. So in closing this morning, I want you to know that you are extraordinary. This is not your doing, though. This is a gift that you have been given from God. So, let's not settle for ordinary in our lives. Let's live out, let's proclaim God's goodness to the world, both in our words and in our actions. Let's be the extraordinary people that God has already made us. Please bow and pray with me. Lord, we don't deserve the titles that were up on that screen. We don't deserve to be called extraordinary. But you have made it so. You've made us that holy nation. You've made us a royal priesthood, your own possession, a chosen nation. Lord, help us to make that a reality in our own lives. Help us to serve you in humility. Help us to uh, proclaim your goodness to others, your grace, your love. And may we be the people that you call us to be. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.